and welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. This week, we're going on a manhunt for seven magnificent men. <laughs> Something I have never done, but... <laughs> Lies. <laughs> we watched 1960's The Magnificent Seven, but before we get started, how was your week? It was really noisy. Yeah. We're, we're still trying to bank episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hey, remember when I said I was going to go on vacation for the 4th of July? All lies. Uh, yes. My dear friend and his entire family oh. got COVID, mm. and I stayed home in a war zone that so not is to open. Give us COVID, which I deeply yes, appreciate. I cannot afford to get COVID. So even though he tells me, on Friday morning at 7.30 that he has tested positive for COVID. And after I stopped crying because I had been very much looking forward to going and visiting him and getting out of town for a little while and having a vacation, uh, he asked, well, what does this mean for the weekend? And I was like, sir, it means that you are going to quarantine in your home for five days and I'll see you when I see you. <laughs> like, what do you mean? What is this? And I guess it's, he just didn't want to, like, let no, me down I, or whatever. But I absolutely like, understand that. Uh, you you can't see people, uh-huh. so therefore, we are not hanging out. <laughs> that is, fortunately, it sounds like, as I said, he, both of his parents, both of his kids, and his ex-wife, well, we don't know about his ex-wife, but he, he doesn't understand how he, she could possibly have avoided it since she had both of the kids. Mm. Um, got it. And it sounds like they all had relatively mild symptoms, so I'm grateful for that. Okay, good. Uh, and hopefully I'll see him in a couple of weeks. Right. And y'all, COVID is not gone, so... No, no. I, we have friends in other places in the world. We have friends locally who caught it. Yep. In the last week. Yeah. And, um... I am surprised that we still haven't gotten it. I am <sighs> hoping that we don't... I don't want anything right I know. Now. I, I, I know. You've had enough I've had enough. So. Which I feel like is also true of my other friend. Right, exactly. Uh, so, yeah, this year can suck it, but we're going to do our best to, still, to stay healthy and away from it still. Oh, Speaking of which, we gotta get you another rooster. Okay. So I will look into times for that. Uh, but how? Yeah. So we did. It was Fourth of July this weekend, and yesterday was all yes. the explosions. I think there were more explosions outside of my bedroom last night than there were in this entire movie and its sequels, and possibly its remake. Yeah, that it sounds was right. It was very explody. Really loud. And what we had a downstairs neighbor who began a party at some point in the morning and just cranked up their music to the extent to where you couldn't hear... We couldn't watch television right. in our own home because right. we couldn't hear it over the music. And I am a person who actually has trouble with multiple sound scapes mm-hmm. right. coming in. Like, if somebody's playing a radio at a low volume while TV is going, I start getting real tense and stressed. And that's what this was. We watched a couple of episodes of a reality show, but I was like, I can't right. focus on anything because this music is so loud. And I, but fortunately, it stopped by like 
six. Six or six thirty, they decided to stop. Yeah, and, and I legitimately thought it was going to go till like right. ten. I was like, "Well, this is it. This is how we live now." They're not known for their restraint downstairs. They're really not. Um, I wanted to go to a store yesterday, but was afraid to drive out of the, my parking space because I didn't think I'd be able to get back yeah. in there, and uh, that sucks. Yes, one of our other uh, our other roommate was actually kind of hassled for parking directly in front of our building. To get they, a car wash. Right, yeah. because they wanted their guests to park there. Yeah. They're, yes. So, we yes. have a guest spot that is always full of them. Mm-hmm. They just park in there. And like they double park and they do all sorts yeah, of things. So, it yes, sucks. It's, it's kind of an issue. It sucks, but this is why we're going to buy our own compound. Yes, I think that's a that's good idea. That's the plan. Right. We all, that's the plan. All right, you want to talk about this movie that was super I fun do that I really talk liked? This movie. I am really glad that you liked it. I loved it. I had seen the remake, uh-huh. so I knew broad strokes what I was right. getting into. Uh, I I had forgotten. Okay, so this movie uh, came out in October of 1960, and did you watch it when you were a kid? You watched it a lot. I watched it. it apparently, at one point, was the first or second most shown. It's the second most movie on, on televised. television. Yeah, it's the second most televised movie to date. Right. Um, behind the Wizard of Oz, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so then there was a point when it just stopped being that. Um, but Ted I Turner owns the shit and just right. puts it on all of his things. Yeah. So I just uh, I which saw it a lot with my we dad. Pay to rent it. Yeah, we did. <laughs> which is so strange. It's like why isn't it just available somewhere? It's always playing somewhere. <laughs> when I was a kid, there were certain movies that got enough recognition. That UHF stations were playing them constantly. You were yeah. seeing the original King Kong. You were seeing The Searchers. You saw a lot. Yeah. This film, yeah. The Thing, was another one. Oh, was, interesting. As I mentioned, I think when we saw that, uh, the, that film, the Thing from Another World, the, the Thing from Another World was on all the time, and then it just abruptly disappeared. I'm like, what happened? I liked that movie, but there were there was a lot of films like that. So this one was directed by John Sturges, mm-hmm. who's an amazing. He is. He's another director who, like Robert Wise, gets ignored because there's there's not a sort of ostentatiousness to his style, but his mm-hmm. films. This is the guy who directed, among other things, um, The Old Man in the Sea, The Magnificent Seven. He directed uh, The Great Escape. Oh, so we'll see him again. Right, we'll see him <laughs> again. That is also on this list. Uh, he directed uh, the um, I the think gunfight at the OK Corral, which was a great version of that story. But my favorite has to be Bad Day at Black Rock. Oh yeah, which is an amazing film. If if you haven't I've never seen, seen that it movie, all the way through, it's a really great film. And something called It's a Big Country, right. which is not my no. favorite Big Country, right. but it is similar in title. That's. <laughs> The, one, of the, one of the films that he directed that I really liked was The Satan Bug, uh, which is a, a a film from 1965. Is it about? It is about chemical warfare. Oh, And a guy who steals, a, well, a government worker who steals a bacillus that can wipe out the entire human race. Oh, we don't want a pandemic movie. Thanks, though. <laughs> but what was really neat was just how John Sturgis has a gift, and I think that's probably why he's here twice. For just ratcheting up, ratcheting up tension 
in a scene and amongst characters. And we see that with this film. It's like he's always sort of escalating the stakes. Uh, so yeah, he's a really good director. He, he, um, yes, he, he was much nominated for, mm-hmm. for Academy Awards and can things and Directors Guild of America things. But he only won three awards. Mm-hmm. Best Foreign Language Film by the Blue Ribbon Awards of Japan of for course. The Old Man in the Sea. Right. <laughs> so he didn't win an Academy Award. He won a Japanese Academy Award right. for Best Foreign Language Film that year. Um, and then the, um, the Golden Eddie Filmmaker of the Year from the America Cinema Editors in 1970. And that feels like a... a Almost like a, a lifetime of, achievement mm-hmm. situation, and then something called the Golden Boot Award because he made a lot of really great westerns. Oh, is that okay. especially if you count something like Bad Day at Black Rock? It's technically a western, given its setting. It's oh yeah, it is a the Golden Boot Awards mm-hmm. were an American acknowledgement of achievement honoring actresses, actors, and crew members who made significant contributions to westerns, and they they went on between eighty three. And 2007, and he was honored in 1992. <laughs> yeah, he's, he was a really great director. The there's, As I said, there's a lack of a consistent personal style because that's not what he was going for. He was going to tell his story. Right, right, right. And as a person telling his story, he was amazing. He was, and you know what he liked to do? He liked to get a good, loud... Uh, composer in mm-hmm. to do oh yes very aggressive musical stings enter elmer bernstein yes half mm. of leonard and no relation as it turns out you said i thought there were and you lied to me i didn't oh he was born on my birthday and elmer bernstein it there was a, a joke that um oh he was blacklisted in the 50s there was East Coast Leonard and West Coast Elmer, apparently. But yes, this loud, beautiful, bombastic score. He also, Elmer Bernstein was responsible for The Great Escape, The Ten Commandments, True Grit, The Man with the Golden Arm, To Kill a Mockingbird. And To Kill a Mockingbird is a completely different kind of score. It's very sort of melancholy and measured yeah the afi has done film score rankings much like they did the list that we're working off of Mm -hmm. and the magnificent seven and to kill a mockingbird are ranked by the afi as the eighth hold on the eighth i have trouble with the word eighth and the word 80th when they're written out written out (laughs) the eighth and the 17th greatest american film scores of all time and they are as different as possibly can be which he is rad. Really captured. His first score, I think, I th- believe, was for Robot Monster, which is one of the worst films ever made. Oh, jeez. And he was starting out as a kid. This is the film shot, I think, entirely in Bronson Canyon. And the Robot Monster, the title, is a guy in a gorilla suit with a little diving helmet on. And antennas coming out. Who communicates with his alien overlords using a bubble machine? It's not even listed in his Wikipedia page. It shouldn't be. But he wrote that first score when he was very, very young, and very yeah. much like Burt Bacharach writing the really catchy theme for the original blog. What was it called again? 
robot monster. Oh no, that was I'm sorry, I lied. It was not his it was it was one, two, three, four, five, six. It was his sixth score. I wonder if it, it was in the middle of the fifties, so that's right. why. His first thing was Saturday's Heroes and then the Battles of Chief Pontiac. Later Catwomen of the Moon and then Robot Monster. So he didn't discriminate early in his no, career. He was getting he a job. May, he did what he was asked. So, but yeah, to go from there to the Ten Commandments, working with someone as demanding as Cecil B. DeMille, that must have been... That, 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 yeah, that's when you know that she arrived. And he'll be back in The Great Escape. Um, he did that as well. Which is also a really beautifully bombastic and loud score. Uh, yeah, he's uh, got a lot of famous names. Oh, he did The Meatballs and The Airplane score. Right. He doesn't discriminate. That's rad. He worked all the way up to 2002. He, his last credit mm -hmm. is a Gangs of New York score that was rejected and replaced by Howard Shore. Oh, that's a pity. But he did do Far From Heaven and Keeping the Faith. Keeping the Faith is a good movie. It is too long, but it is a good movie. Far From Heaven is actually... If, he, yeah. if you're a certain age in particular... Oh, and he did Wild Wild West. <laughs> and Twilight. Yeah. I love this dude. This man had to watch Twilight a million times. Right? That's... To score a film, mm -hmm. don't you have to watch it right. like a lot? And I wonder if when he's watching it going, this takes me back to doing Robot Monster and Catwoman on the Moon or something. Oh, and he did Devil in a Blue Dress and The Rainmaker, Bringing Out the Dead, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Anyways. Okay. So, but not of Leonard Bernstein. No, not the Bernsteins. I thought they were related. As it turns out, they are not. And I also had a weird thought that Leonard Bernstein was two people, like somebody named something something Leonard and something something Bernstein. I know that's not true. Right. I just said like a Leonard whole and sentence. Bernstein. Right. Yes, right. But that's wrong. So I'm. I don't know what I was thinking. But so then we get into the Magnificent Seven. How do we? Mm, well, let's start with the seven because the beginning of this movie, the first, well, let's start with the problem. We'll set mm -hmm. up, we'll start with the setup of the conflict, then we'll introduce our characters because that's what this movie does conflict, and then we have an hour of introducing all of these characters one right. at a time. Um, so you were, you thought his name was Calavera, but it's right. just Calavera, played by, uh, Eli Wallach. Eli Wallach. Sorry, I've lost. Who's amazing in this film? I've and it's there's, the first thing that we have to be aware of watching this film as a modern audience is that there's a lot of. Oh, the first thing you see right. is this movie's based on Seven Samurai, right? Exactly. Which is awesome. Hey, mm -hmm. George Lucas, you could have done this, and nobody would have taken anything from you. This movie is still very well regarded. It was well-regarded enough to where John Sturges met Kurosawa at one point. Oh, wow. And Kurosawa, was, he was introduced to Kurosawa as the man who directed the remake of your film. And Kurosawa was like, oh, I, I really like that movie. And Sturges went on to say that was like the like high point. Yep, for sure. Of his professional life. Um, 
And this movie starts like Seven Samurai starts. Right. Like, there's a dude, and he's wor- he's working on corn. I think in the other movie, he's working on rice. But, you know, it's this man in a dirty, very sort of basic, primitive village or town situation. This man is in this village, and he's shucking. I don't know what he's doing. He's working on some corn when... A gang, like a lot of men. It's like 40 guys on horses. It's a lot of people. Um, Comes to, led by Calvera, who's like, hey, we're going to be back soon for half of your shit. Like, basically. He's there to take their time. It's like um, protection money, but not really, though. (laughs) Um, And... When one villager tries to stand up to him, he is unceremoniously straight up murdered, at which point some of the village um, members are like, we can't give them, like, our kids are hungry. We can't. We can't do this anymore. But we also, we're farmers. We have no weapons. We cannot fight. Right. Um, And... Basically, one of the town elders is like, well, take your money and try and hire somebody or buy weapons. One of those two, maybe both, maybe both of those things and try and fight them off. Um, That's your best bet. Right. So, so what I was going to mention earlier is that for modern audiences, yeah. there's going to be performers in brownface. Oh, more yeah. Or less. It's never done... In a really demeaning way. These are all Mexican. These are Mexican people, including mm-hmm. Calveras. Right. They're they're portraying Characters. Mexicans. Mm-hmm. How many of these actors are actually of Latin descent? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Spanish. Most. Or almost everyone in the villages. Okay. And the the, the town elders, uh, yeah. the 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 women, uh-huh. which, all of them. E- all of the women, though, even the one that Chico ends up with? Yeah, Rosa Monteros. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. All right. right. I didn't know her name. Yeah. She looked, I don't know, maybe she just looked like they darkened her. Right. Her skin tone was She's also, and that's one, that's, that's. She uh, might just be more indigenous than right. Spanish, and that's what I'm seeing. I don't know. But, um, so that's one thing that, that as a modern audience, you don't get as much anymore. Now we cast people for being what they are, down to the, the smallest detail now, which is actually much better. Yeah. But um, Eli Wallach plays such a weirdly compelling, easygoing... He's very easygoing until he car- he just straight murders right. a dude. His whole opening speech is really well written about visiting their church. Yeah. It's like, I like seeing the fact that you still respect religion... I went to a big town. There's a priest there. Yeah. He visits. Every, they have mass every Sunday, and we went there. And there's just you know brass candlesticks, and there's nothing in the poor box. And then his his uh, his uh, second in command. Yeah. Says, but we robbed it anyhow. And he says, why are you saying that? I'm just trying to point out how little respect people have for religion these Religions days. Religions these days. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of yeah between him and. Uh, Steve McQueen's character, who has these really funny kind of stories for every occasion. Yeah. There's a lot of really well-written scenes in this film. So, yes. So, originally what happens 
is they say go <laughs> go up to America and get some guns. Right. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> so they knew then. Uh they had us pegged and um and get some guns, figure out how to use them and then protect your your things. Uh so that you have enough for your kids and for your families through the winter, right? Because mm-hmm. I guess basically what they've been told is we'll be back at your harvest and we're going to take whatever's left, you know. Because he, he has this roving gang yeah. of uh, of about 40 men. Yes. That he has to, he's saying, he, he describes him as like, he wants to be, he wants to appear to be different from what he is, Calavera. Of course. Calavera. Which is why he wears his very sort of frilly shirt. Yes. He, yeah. He's very kind of self-important. He has this enormous buckle on his saddle. Yeah. He has all sorts of things. Yeah, his um, saddle is ridiculous. <laughs> right. And he uh, he wants to see himself as that kind of man who provides for his men. So when the town elder tells him, there won't be enough for us, he's like, but what about my men? I have to feed them. What do you think I run this operation on? Yeah. You know. Well, he runs this operation on the... Those men are only his men while he can feed them. Right. But yes, he doesn't grow food, (laughs) so I don't know how he's thinking he's going to do that. And they're out of money. That's Mm -hmm. the we find out later that they are currently desperate because they're wanted men, and that's kind of the theme of the entire film. Yeah, all of these men, the seven that come after them, or the seven that come to stop them, the um, the bandit himself, they're all wanted. Yeah, so they're now being pushed into a corner because yeah. their age really is not dying. all of the not all of our seven are wanted. One of them okay. is wanted. M- more than one of them may be wanted. Only one of them is explicitly wanted. <laughs> but this whole band, this whole right. set of bad guys, is wanted because they've been knocking over banks. Right. Uh. In Mexico specifically. Right. Because he, he said you can't rob a bank in Texas unless you're a Texan. In Texas, right? yeah. <laughs> yes, that's right. Oh, that, no, that's right. They they ripped off some banks in Texas. Right. And now they're getting, like, hardcore harassed mm. by American forces or whatever. And, yeah, that's yeah, what he the says. Whole army the only is people who are allowed to rip off or to steal from a bank in Texas are Texans, which... Sounds about right. There's a lot of really interesting digs yeah. <laughs> at culture in this film. So we've got three of our villagers taking the things that they have that are of some value up to this uh, border town to barter for guns. And they see uh, my favorite name in the movie, <laughs> Yule Brenner's character, who never takes off his hat in this whole movie. He does you, one time. Do you see his beautiful shiny hat? Right. Does he have something no 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 he it was a choice he did he has hair in some of his older films and it's almost like it's shocking to see him with it and when he did the king and i apparently he became a sex symbol yes and then Uh, he just thought to himself uh, has some very lewd jokes about yule brenner and his shiny head and where he got to put it (laughs) but yes his whole idea was like why go back if this is you know gonna make me stand out from this crowd yeah um so he is there all in black and i was like he looks just like his Westworld character, and you told me that was the that, that was intentional. Point, right? I no, because I have seen Westworld. I have not seen. I had not seen this movie before. So yeah, he is all in black with a 
big hat, same hat he wears mm-hmm. in Westworld. But in this movie, he is a cowboy named Chris Adams because sure he is. The funny part is... <laughs> Sounds like a dude I would have babysit my kids. When, <laughs> when you first see him, he is... There's a... Uh, a very fancy funeral being held. Yes. Two yeah. out-of-town businessmen have come in. And it's neat how these are all laid out in vignettes. You That's get to right. See them I forgot about that. Yes. Right. And they, uh, this one out-of-town uh, salesman has paid a good deal of money for the funeral yes. of a man who died right in front of him. He's paid the mortician mm-hmm. for the um, the burial mm-hmm. and all the funeral costs of a man who, while walking down the street, just dropped dead. Right. And the mortician has put him in a box and put the box in this wonderful, in this awesome uh, hearse being pulled by horses with plumage. You feel like Cinderella being taken to heaven in the back of this. I want a hearse like this when I die. I don't even want to be buried. (laughs) Put my ashes in a hearse like this. It's so cool. I, I literally was like, can you still get this in like New Orleans? Oh, you can. You and can get you them said you could get them here. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. Um, I want two black horses with feathers on their heads to take me to my final resting place. It was rad. But racism, y'all. Right. So the man that had died was a native. So now the townsfolk, including the driver of the funeral or the, the hearse, which, like I said, is a carriage. It's a horse-drawn carriage. Right. Uh, have basically both just declined to be involved and are actively stopping right. uh, the transport of the body up to, what is it called? Boot Hill. Boot Hill, uh, where they said, they, they're talking like, you know, I thought the only thing that you had to do to get into Boot Hill was be a drunk and die or whatever. Or just, like it's, Yeah, you just have to be dead. And it's, like, yeah, not, but it's not like where white the fancies there, live. Right? It's not, but it's where the poor people would go. Mm-hmm. But in this case, they're poor white people. And so and he were. very explicitly yeah. whipwhistled who's playing The Undertaker, who's a character yeah. actor that um, is really familiar to audiences at the time. He just says, yeah, but those folks are white. And it was like, whoa, okay, that's kind of a startling Yeah, And he's not admission. even the one. He's like, I'm, I can't. There's nothing I, can't, I can do. They're going to shoot you. They're going to shoot me. They're going to shoot at me, and I'm not, it's not worth my life to put this man in the ground. The, 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 the. So Holt's been dug, like everything is ready except mm-hmm. the body is at the bottom of the hill and it needs to get to the top of the hill. That's it. Right. At which point Chris is like, I'll, if all you need is a driver, I got this. Right. And he hops up with uh, a second and his well, second. Well, the second, yeah, there's a bunch yeah. of people just sort <laughs> of standing around standing watching. Around, yeah. And then, you know, the, 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 the salesman is like offering money for it. Yeah. It's like, I'll pay you such and I forget how much to get up to the top of Boot Hill. And he just takes it, and then uh, his uh, pal, well, eventually his uh, eventual pal, Vin Tanner, is played by Steve McQueen. Steve McQueen. Who... I didn't catch his name this entire movie. Right. Because he's... And I... Oh, so what did you think of Steve McQueen? Because he's kind of... He's, he's odd in this movie because he is... In scenes where he has nothing to say, he's doing so right. much. So Steve McQueen started with his first major role is in The Blob. He was the lead. Right. 
he's in his 30s and he's playing a teenager. Oh. <laughs> and <laughs> Hollywood, he, what are we doing? His, he has this really strange history, too, because Neil Brenner's history is that, you know, he was from a, a Russian family that was part Mongolian. Yeah. And they wound up exiled from there and they're living Asian. in China. <laughs> and that, so it's like you're looking at him going, what is he playing here? And here he's playing a Cajun because that's how they cover his yes. accent. Cajun. It's like Cajun, sure, that'll cover it. Just like Anthony Quinn got to play an Eskimo, right? It's just like one of those things. And uh, and Steve uh, Inuit, please. Excuse me. That's right, Inuit. Uh, and Steve McQueen apparently was just really big on trying to break into the movies again because he was doing a TV show. I want to be was a really star, popular. Ma. <laughs> and he almost didn't get this part. I found out because. The, um, he wouldn't stop moving in the no well, in the tests. The issue was that he uh, he was really popular in this TV show, and he wanted to break into the movies. And they wouldn't give him a break to do the TV show. I mean, to do the film. It's like no, no, no. We need you oh, back. Right. Yeah. So that's some, like what happened to Pierce Brosnan when he missed his first opportunity to be James Bond. Was so, that a Remington Steel issue? Yeah. That's crazy. But yeah, um, it would only help you get more. But what happens <laughs> is that his, sort of, well, his spouse at the time says that he's driving his car and he goes, he's just sitting there perseverating almost. Yeah. I need to get into this movie. I need to get in this movie. The director likes me. I need to get in this movie. Neil Brenner wants me in the film. I want to be in the film. Turns around his car, tells his wife, do you want to get out of the car? She's like, why? Because I'm going to run it into that building. And she's like, are you desperate? No, no, I'm going to run it into that building. Runs why are his you car committing property damage? Do into it to a building. tree or something. Bam. Right? Doesn't damage. It's like a solid brick building in the corner of the He tree. doesn't damage the building. Right. Okay, well, all right. Then he shows up to work the next day with bruises on his face and a neck brace and says, I need time to recover. And they're like, take a couple of months off. And then he goes and does this movie. <laughs> See, that's how really... Now they just put that shit in a contract right. and it wouldn't have mattered. Right, exactly. They but, would have been like, you can sit on your ass for two months, but you're not going to go to another film set. But that's what he wound up doing. That's crazy. And so the extent that he like, he was really focused... He, he had makeup guy friends. Why didn't they... Why didn't he just... I mean, he, was he a, worked in movies. Well, his, his parents, I believe... What the case was is that his parents were like his father was a stunt pilot or something. Oh God! So, so he's a person who's driving himself into very a building. He's very, very physical. Yeah. In his performance, yeah, yeah. he's constantly jumping over things, leaping over things. When you see him in The Great Escape, he's almost like a meerkat. He's constantly yeah. popping his head up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His cell, but yeah, they. Uh, yeah, he moves a lot. The, so yeah, yeah. So he hops on to this. Um, yeah, he's riding shotgun, literally. Course, literally. If you want to know what shotgun means, this is what yes. it means. He's got a gun. He's riding next to uh, right. Chris. <laughs> Just a cowboy named Chris is funny to me. And I, maybe it was a very popular Old West name. It just doesn't mm. seem it like it It does not seem like a guy been. named Yule should be called Chris. Uh, uh, Chris Adams is just yes. the least... Vigilante name. I, anyways, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, and they get up the hill. They do have to fend off gunfire, right. but they end up getting up the hill. And then, um, 
And then they ride back down the hill, which is so scary to me. I was just like, why are they going so they're fast? They're speeding down that and hill. And you're like, uh, I, I was like, is it so that the horses don't get outrun by the hearse? And you're like, yeah. Yeah, because you can tell it's like, oh, here's here's an airshare. There's, there's a rigid pole between the horses, and I forget what it's called. But at the same time, it's, it's practically still pushing, pushing them. them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So they tear us back down this hill. But the man is buried, and the the um, this Mexican villagers has seen this, so they right. ask him. They're like, "Can we get your advice on this thing that we're dealing with?" And he says, "Men are cheaper than guns." Right, because they want to buy guns from him, they, and then right. he just says, "You know what?" And this is again the end of the age of the gunfighter. Yeah. So it's like these people are all, all they can afford is like $20. That's the thing. It's $20 a man to go basically put your life on the line for these people that you don't know to protect their village. And it's literally $20. And, And every single one of them is like... You know, I made $600 doing this, I had this, that, and the right. other. And all of them end up going, but $20 right now, though? I, yeah. I need $20 right and now. So at first, uh, Vin actually doesn't want to participate because he's like, $20? That's ridiculous. Yep. But he very quickly blows all of his cash gambling. Gambling, yeah. And, and then they want him to work as a clerk in the store, and he's right. like, I'm going to blow my own brains <laughs> well, off. Like, so... so Chris is there with his uh, the three uh, Mexican, the emissaries from the village. Yeah. And one of them is really funny because he just looks at the guy. He looks at Ben and goes, but cleaning a store is a is an honorable profession. And you get to sweep up and you learn lots about the inventory and there's chances for promotion. And it's like he's looking. McQueen looks back and I'm like, I'm a gunfighter. What the hell am I going to do sweeping up yeah, a store? Yeah, not. This, yes, right. this is not. This doesn't make any sense. So um, they're like, okay, um, yes, let's do that. I'm going to hire you, and you're going to hire some some people. And so then Chris starts having um, auditions. Auditions. <laughs> he has one audition, right. and this young man who has seen what he had done right. and was very impressed by what he had done um, comes in. And feels as though he has been humiliated by Chris, which, um, because he says, are you fast with a gun? And he Mm -hmm. says, try me. And so Chris does, but not in the way that he wanted him to. And he gets in a snit and runs away. (laughs) Right. Um, And this is played by Horst Buchholz. Horst, the most Mexican name you've ever heard. He's a German actor. Who um, he is playing a Mexican right. character, right. which is why he was so. Um, he looked up so much to Chris, right? Doing this thing for this native uh, man, right? Um, he was like, "Oh, he's not a racist piece of shit." <laughs> Oh, I am on board with hanging out with right. him. Let me be one of his, one of his, you know, I want to impress him. Mm-hmm. And he does this thing where um, he has him clap uh-huh. and, you know, clap as fast as you can, clap as fast as you can. Right. And the third time he clap, like right. this kid claps, he claps onto Chris's gun. So that's how fast he was able to pull. 
I think it's a weird test. I'm like, clap from, what, what is the, what, there's yeah. no standard clap distance. I'd just be like, <laughs> <laughs> but he, but the, yeah. and then he says, now you do it to me. And he he can't figure out right. what what this timing is, and he yeah gets in a snit and huffs out and like just runs away. Like I bet he cried. <laughs> and uh, but we'll see him again, you guys. His name is Chico, which means little. Uh, <laughs> and then oh, let me see, um, because I feel like right after that his buddy shows up. It was played by Brad Dexter. Yes. And what is his name? Um, Henry Henry Luck. Henry Henry Luck. Who is a that. which is a great name. He's a guy who's convinced. He's constantly like wink wink nudge nudge. Oh, yes, he's right. like, Yeah, but what does it pay though? And and Chris is like, it's twenty dollars a man. Like right. I don't I'm it's not I'm not holding out on you. And he's like he and he figures there's some sort of mine with diamonds or gold right. or something that and he has he's like going to get in response to this. This is like Aztec gold that the Spaniards didn't the, find, right? Right, exactly, This is yes. opals. There are opals in the mountains. Yes. There's a silver mine, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> and so he goes and along. And he's like, right. and constantly Chris is like, no. No, there's nothing. <laughs> um, until the very end when, anyways, we'll get to right. it. But, yeah, so that that's him. He, and I guess he just, sniffed it out on the wind because he just shows up and asks then um mcqueen comes basically and right. is like yeah i twenty dollars though because <laughs> he's like no i couldn't possibly and then he's like yeah but twenty dollars though and so he holds up the number two so he's number two and then um Technically, I guess I would say Brad Dexter is number three. Mm-hmm. Then they go out and uh, check in with some old friends. And the first person they go see, and I didn't recognize him, yeah. is Bernardo O'Reilly. He is, at the moment, uh, axing a, a log. Right. Uh, and this and is purely to show off how <laughs> physical a performer Charles Bronson is. He's Charles Bronson. He's younger than I've ever right. seen him, so his face was... Less lined? Less craggy than, okay. the, uh, than I was Mr. Craggy. familiar with. He is an Irish Mexican. Mm-hmm. No, he isn't, but sure he is. Today right. he is. Uh, and he has, he also is like, uh, they're going back and forth over the, the things that they'd done when they were younger or whatever. Mm-hmm. You remember we got $600 from that and $1,000 right. from that and then, this one offers twenty, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm not, do- I'm not putting my life on the line for twenty bucks." And then he definitely is putting well, his life on the line for twenty bucks because twenty dollars is right now chopping cords of wood. Today's <laughs> money in right. this economy, twenty dollars is twenty dollars. Right, exactly. Um, it beats you know chopping wood. Yes, in the hot sun. Yes. Um, and then we have. I think we see Coburn next. Yeah, I believe so, because they run into Robert Vaughn's character at the very end. Yeah. He yeah. shows up at their hotel, because he's, he's frankly very much on the run. Yes. And Coburn winds up kind of being on the run, as I was saying earlier, because 
in his vignette, he actually kills somebody. Yes, so he we go, and they're outside. It looks like they're maybe working on a train, or it might be a train station. It mm-hmm. feels like there's train. There's a train in the background, in the background, and the engineers are just sort of staring at this just, whole thing going down. Yeah, and um, basically this guy challenges James mm-hmm. Coburn's character, and James Coburn I did not recognize. He looks familiar to me, but I didn't recognize him because, once again, very much younger than I'd ever seen him. Right. He is so narrow. A stiff breeze would blow this man away. He is so, like, wiry and thin. Mm-hmm. Um, and he uh, is, uh, after this, he has, he has sat down on the ground, put his legs out in front of him, and lowered his hat over his face. And a man, a, a Karen from the 1800s, <laughs> mad at him comes up to him and fires two shots towards his legs, you know, around his legs to get him up. And mm-hmm. I'm like, well, now I have to kill you. Right. Like, you I, you shot at me. Right. I have to kill you Yeah, now. at first he tries to see if, because the people who are standing around say, <laughs> he can get you with a knife before you can get it, before you can draw your gun. Yeah. And he does that. Yeah. And, and the guy's like, prove it, prove it, prove, prove it. it. And, and then like, he starts well, like really trying stupid. to provoke him. Let's do it for real. Yeah. And Coburn's characters, no, like, I, that will kill you. Why right. do you not understand that one of us? Th- that's a duel. Right. I don't know you. Right. I'm not. But then this man has shot his gun at him, and yeah, he does get up, and he does throw a knife directly into this man's heart before he can pull his gun. And then now he has to gather his shit and And this go. is when Chris and uh, Vin come by and go, okay, never hey. mind. Nothing to see here. We're going to take him away. Take him <laughs> right. with us. So he has joined whether he likes it or not. But he is probably now on the run. Right. Then, yes, back at the hotel, um, they run into a former, um, I think Chris and he were uh, fought together. Mm-hmm. Uh that is Robert Vaughn's character. And he is paying $20 a day, no, $10 a day to sleep in basically a closet and right. get a plate of gruel because he is on the run and everyone knows that he's on the run. And so that extra danger he puts his uh, hosts in yeah. uh, costs a pretty penny. So he's like, I need money. Because I am going to die. Like, I'm, they're going to leave me in the street to die, and I'm either going to be caught or, you know, yeah, just succumb to the elements. Like, one of those two things is going to happen. So, yes, $20 is not very much, but it's, I need $10 a day. So, if this gets me two more days worth of protection, then that's going to be fine. And so, he comes with them. And then, as they're riding out, that kid that got, so mad mm-hmm. um, and I think he, he had come to a he bar, comes to their bar, the bar the night before they're fixing to leave really angry and really drunk and drunk yeah and very emotional but and tell is like maybe you didn't need to humiliate a kid who just wanted to impress you like right. he's literally like why did you have to be a fucking asshole now I would argue Chris was not a fucking asshole to him. You didn't get to show off in the way that you thought that you were going to. And so you are a butthurt baby. (laughs) He was not cruel to you. There's a line, and I can't can't find it, but where he's just 
telling him, you know, it's like, well, he was young and he was eager. And Chris is like, well, graveyards are full of men who are young and eager. Proud. He's proud. He's proud. seen too many go. Yes. Where he doesn't want to. It's like he's this, young and uh, he's proud, and, and graveyards are full of men. Up who until are this young point, you don't know what his story is. No. But I like how of the 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 Mexican entourage, that's there. Um, yes, they do have a Mexican entourage. That's this, the little villagers are right. following them around, and and they're very cute. They're very, and they 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 act in the place of the audience. Like we're going to be impressed by all these people, but Chris is sorting out the ones to really be impressed by. Um, but one of them, I love. There's like a telling scene where we don't know anything about Chico or what his past is. Yeah. But when he starts raging at Chris, one of them tries to hold him back and says, "Campesino, calm down." And to me, that yeah. was like seeing it now. It's yeah. Like, Holy cow! This guy read him right from the beginning. This is a farmer. Yeah. This guy was a farmer. You're a farmer. Who, who? Yeah. Has no business in here. I mean, he's okay with a gun. Right, but he's not. But what, what Chris but was trying to keep him. He's not a killer. Him, right. He's not. Yeah. So yeah, that suddenly it's like, oh, okay. Now that's that's interesting. I didn't realize that. Or I didn't pay attention to that when I was a kid. Yeah. Um. Uh, the other thing I want to say about Vin, mm-hmm. our number two, our Steve McQueen, is he's um he's real quippy. Like he's always making jokes right. that feel anachronistic, and I don't know if they are or not. <laughs> oh yeah, here, Ilario says very young and very proud, and Chris says, "Well, the graveyards are full of boys who are very young and very proud." Yeah, there's a there's this. Like I said, the movie is just really well written. Uh, there's an interesting commentary on the film itself that talks about all the struggles to get it made and all, but there's input from people who are film historians and John Carpenter, the director, yeah, who goes on to say, you know, this is the birth of the buddy movie. This The relationship between Chris and Vin is the beginnings of buddy cop films or buddy movies the way that we've seen them from this time on. Yeah. Yes. No, it also feels like, um, what's his name? Uh, the dude that did uh, Nice Guys and um, Iron Man 3. Um, oh, yeah. Yes, you know I know who I'm you're talking, talking about. about. His name, I cannot remember. I cannot think of his name either. Um, Shane Black. Yes, Shane Black is what I was thinking of. Yeah. And I'm, yes, I'm pretty certain that this is uh, something that he's seen. But yeah, John Carpenter was talking about this is the beginning of the Buddy Cop movie. This is the beginning of yeah the Put the Team Together movie. I mean, the whole this whole first hour, I was like, this feels like the pilot of mm-hmm. a of Leverage or Firefly, right? Or you said the A Team is based right. on the A Team is based on it. Um, yeah, but it's just like, well, now we're gonna watch these guys do a bunch of shit, right? We're only gonna ever see them uh, do the one thing. There is a TV show spinoff, which I think is wild because y'all seven don't make it out. In the sequels, do we pretend or do we get a, a new? Oh, four? we get yeah. They they it's the same formula in that they recruit new ones. Oh okay, it's just, okay. All right. Do do Steve McQueen Steve and McQueen Neil Brenner come back? No, at all? Neil Brenner comes back for the second one, and then he's done with the series, and they replace him with somebody who actually it was really weird. Like why? Okay, now he's. 
played by George Kennedy, who did not remotely look like Stephen Quayle. I'm like a Yale Brenner. Interesting. Or anything, but... Um, yeah, so, but he plays the same character? Yeah. Chris Adams? Which is funny. Cowboy Chris Adams? Um, so Chico shows up as they're riding out of town, and then they are seven. Um, and they... That is, like I said, probably an hour, 45 minutes into the film when they mm-hmm. start going towards their mission. We There are long introductions to each of these characters, which is very helpful to me, even though none of them looked like any of the other ones. Like, mm-hmm. it was easy to tell them all apart. Right. Which sometimes I have trouble with. If this had been set in the 40s, I might have had more, or, you know, made in the 40s, I might have had more difficulty, but... By the 60s and with color, I can tell the difference between all of them. John Sturgis was also very good with that. He was oh, yeah. very good with creating this sort of distinction between people. And and, and they all sound different, right. too, which is nice. Um, there's only one credited writer on this. Um, there are some uncredited writers, yeah, but the dialogue are. is very good. It, like you said, it's very snappy, and it is very distinctive. Each of these characters really has their own individual their voice. Own individual voice. Um, they, so Chico sort of trails them. He doesn't, he's not with them, but he's like in eye shot of them. <laughs> right. And then he goes ahead at one point and he is fucking fast because he gets in a river yes. and hand catches fish and ends up catching a whole bunch of them and leaving them next to the trail for when they come by, and then he is a little further on with a little fire cooking up his, you know, his catch as well. But, and then at that point, he is sort of taken into the group because he has proven that he can gather around right. um, and is of use to them. But I'm like, well, I mean, clearly you're quick because, like I said, he just gets in this river and yoinks a, a bunch of fish right out of it. How? I guess rivers then had more fish in them. I well, don't know. Also, I think it was shallow enough to where if and he stays I mean, he still for a them. second, so yeah, it's like yeah. swimming close to him, and then yeah, it must be. It's crazy. Um, so he does do that, and um, then he yeah, so he's one of them at that point, and so then finally they get to the village, and you know some of them aren't thrilled that they're there. It, there's a big show at the beginning because they don't come to like greet them mm-hmm. because they're scared and also they're working. And, and the, uh, the village elder tells that sort of wonderful, wonderfully written. Well, they're farmers mm-hmm. and they know the season for everything, but they don't know the season for this. Yeah. And that was also kind of telling like, oh, okay, so they're all horrified or they're scared. Yeah. And then Chico being one of them himself, in disguise, no less. Maybe. He rings yeah. the church tower He goes bell. to the church bell, which is mm-hmm. the alarm, and they all come out. And I'm like, right. first of all, why do you come out when the alarm happens? Right. I would feel like the alarm would be fucking sh- batten down, right. shelter in place. And Chico loses his goddamn mind at these people and is like, you don't have the decency to well, look at us in our faces. And I'm just like, you have a bit of a hero complex for someone who has done nothing but right. catch some fish. He's, he's um, He has a lot of active self-loathing, I think yeah. is the best way to put it. He really hates the idea that, you know, 
He's never going to be a farmer, he tells the woman who eventually falls in love with him. I'm never going to be a farmer. You couldn't catch me dead in a place like this. I'm not going to be digging furrows. This is what he worked so hard to get away from. Away from, right. Right. Wherever so, that was. This yeah. isn't his village, but it's and probably it's just like where he came from. The difference between him and Bernardo. Yes. Who also grew up like a campesino and then went out and is... Did All this. Bernardo wants is a family, y'all. Right. Bernardo loves these kids. Yeah. Which is very sweet. The relationship... Everyone has, like, a stake in, or rather, everyone has something, a motivation for us. A motivation, yeah. I mean, Robert Vaughn's character, we find out, is in absolute, I mean, shell shock would be the word that they'd call it back then, maybe, but he is uh, suffering severe PTSD. He has nightmares every night, he can't sleep, he's, he, um, and we see that later in the film. Yeah. But um, it seems like Chico's whole thing is, I need to never be one of these people. Never look, be one of these people. I'm going to show you how different I am from you. Yeah, maybe. He just is such a dick in that scene. I didn't <laughs> like it. They're all fed by the villagers, um, and they're eating up. But then Bernardo comes in and is like, you know, they're eating corn and water. Yeah. Like, we're eating the choice food. They don't ha- this. They don't eat like this. This isn't, this isn't really okay. And mm-hmm. so then they take all of the pots of food and feed the villagers back the, the food that's been made for them, uh, which they made them too much food. <laughs> if you can feed the whole village on this, you should mm-hmm. just, you guys should just do well, this no, all the time. What happens in the scene before this is the fact that you find out that they've hidden all the women in the village. Yeah, that's right. All and, of the women in the village right. were, because they were afraid they were going to be rapists. Right. Which, I mean... Which is and that's their concern. Gil Redder's response is like, he's like, well, we hid our women. Why? Because we were afraid they would be raped. And then he looks at him and goes, well, we might have, but you can give us the benefit of the doubt. And it was like this weird admission. I like, mean, no, they right. really can't. They can't. But that's that's the, the that's the thing. Like, mm-hmm. sure, because these guys turn out to be good dudes, right? And they're not going to do that. But it's almost like you can see on his face, I can understand why you'd think that. Yeah. Yes. Because that's the whole thing with not all men, right? Right. Sure, not all men, but I don't know which ones because they don't wear rapists across their forehead. It could literally be any. And so I have to treat all as dangerous. And they're doing the same thing. I mean, it makes perfect sense. Um, And I do understand him being hurt by that, but like... But the thing is that, once again, Chico is the one who brings this to their attention. Look what they're doing. They're hiding their women because they're afraid of you. They're afraid of us and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. That... This whole movie really talks about... Like, it's not glorifying violence in any way. All of them are like, wish we could do something else with our lives, but here the fuck we are. This is all we know how to do. Really, some of them. Yeah. Um, like the end of Shane. There's no right. place for us. <laughs> or, or the best westerns. When you're looking at uh, the final shot of the the searchers with the door slamming, it's you know shut in John Wayne keeping him out because now there's no place for you in this world now. Yeah. You know that that yeah. was a, a really powerful final scene, but that's kind of the theme of this entire film. Yeah, it, it is, is and that, everybody feels that in in a different way. Right. Um, and some of them are handling it better than others. Right. Because um, the first thing that 
Chris says to, to Vin, almost the first thing, once he jumps on the wagon to ride shotgun yeah. is, where'd you come from? Tombstone, where'd you come from? He mentions, I forget the other name, the other big Western uh, gunfighting tower, yeah. historical town. Um, he goes, was there any action? No. Anything here? No. no. Like, yeah. there's nothing left for these people in the yeah. world anymore. Yeah, it's all, it's turning into suburbs. Right. It's all families, and... Families don't want men like this around, right? And and that's why that except opening, when they need men right, like exactly. this around, which so is what they're doing. When right? The salesman tells you know he's being rushed onto the the carriage or the stagecoach by his friend. Yeah, he's like, that's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Wait till I tell Flora about this. It's like you can see in that scene, it encapsulates how the Western legend gets passed on. But this guy just took a job risking his life for twenty dollars. Like, right. Yeah. So it's. There's, there's nothing. Well, and yeah, whiskey. The, the he he wrote up this hill for nothing. Right. For the dignity of another human being. That's it. And that tells you something about him that too. It does. Of course it does. Right. Um, but yeah, all of these men are like good men who don't have a place. And they're it, all it, square. They're pegs also and though holes. on the on the very cusp of being thrill seekers too, though. Yes. Well, you have. I feel mm. like you have to be when you're younger to get into this, right? Or else you just farm or Which makes whatever. Which Runner's character, who's the oldest, oldest of them. Yeah. Him and I guess Brad Dexter would be the second oldest, but he's like the one who's keeping everyone together. Yeah. Uh, because these young guys are going to just start hooping and hollering and shooting and. Yeah, that's not yeah. gonna work. Um, we we meet Petra who is mm-hmm. a, a young woman in the village who goes after Chico hard. Mm-hmm. I I don't like that character. You don't? Oh, okay. Um, and I don't... I, I, I think I don't like the actress. Mm. I Her responses were very strange, um, and the way that she behaved to me was very strange. Also, I just don't think they gave her enough to say. I believe she's the only woman who speaks in this movie, and she's got like two lines. Yes, there's a lot of. Um, there's I'm no- trying to think of another yeah. woman speaking in this movie, and I cannot picture it. I don't think there is. Now that you mentioned it, and it's it. fine if that she's that they mm. the, the the one woman is a love interest. I understand right. that westerns were skewed. There's also so I think, fucking far to some the male. funny bits with Vin. Trying to like, where's all the girls? <laughs> Which yeah. is very funny. He's like, yeah, and he like is trying to flirt with them, and they're like uninterested. No. And he's not gonna, no, he's get not. his way in there. But he's gonna try and like get him to look at him, and they're like, yeah, nah. There's a scene where he, I think my favorite is when he, they're teaching the uh, the farmers how to shoot using the rifles. Yes. And he's looking at the women who now have decided to come out of the, their hiding, and they're now yes. working in the village. And he's just sort of like, you know, playing with a, at the end of a tassel or something. Yeah. At the end of this canopy he's under, and he realizes he's doing it, and he like straightens yeah. out. He's very, yes. He he does a lot of um, sort of subconscious yeah. goofiness. Yeah, he does. Like, he's just like a weird, goofy dude who's, tr- who's like cosplaying as a cowboy. <laughs> it's very weird. I liked it, though, because uh-huh. your main character's name is Chris, so that's where we live. And right. also, Elmer Bernstein's uh, 
whole score is coming at your face <laughs> so loud and aggressively. Um, during this whole part, we've mm-hmm. got them setting up fortifications, right. teaching them how to shoot, um, yeah, building a wall. I literally at the beginning was like, they should build a wall. And you guys laughed at me rightly because I forgot we were talking about Mexico trying right. to build a wall. But I was like, but like fortify your town though. Like you're yeah. just all out in the open. Um, and they do end up building a wall. So I was right. It turns out. Um, and they're getting like, they're getting to know the town mm-hmm. um, and enjoy their time there. Bernardo makes friends with these kids, these three kids, and they're so great. They're like, we, we chose you. And he's like, for what? And they're like, in case you die, we're going to mourn you. We'll make sure you're buried, and we'll make sure there are fresh flowers on your grave, and we're going to mourn you. And they look up to him like, hard and he like loves them so much but then they like bad talk that um right the farmers they're like you're a hero and they're you know our our fathers are bullshit and he's like in fact i'm gonna read what he says because he doesn't let them get away with them at all um there's a lot of uh quotes in this movie because this movie is very well written. Um, Village Boy 1, Village Boy 2. Here we go. We're ashamed to live here. Our fathers are cowards. That's what the little boy says to him. Village Boy 2. <laughs> and he says, don't you ever say that again about your fathers because they are not cowards. Do you think I am brave because I carry a gun? Well, your fathers are much braver because they carry responsibility for you, for your brothers, your sisters, and your mothers. And this responsibility is like a big rock that weighs a ton. It bends and it twists them until it finally it buries them under the ground. And there's nobody that says they have to do this. They do it because they love you and because they want to. I've never had that kind of courage. Running a farm, working like a mule every day with no guarantee anything will ever come of it. This is bravery. That's why I never even started anything like that. That's why I never yeah. will. And he's like, I fu- you can see it in his face. I want that. I right. want kids. I want and family. He, I want stability. And I can't have it this because I am film, not the, the Even Vin is going that. like, I want to settle down yeah, in a place like this. This is nice. Yeah. They're, they're thinking about it. And then, of course, Calvero's men come by. And that's when he sends Chico and, um, oh, and uh, Britt, who's the knife, uh, James Coburn's character. Yeah, James Coburn's character. And that's where he has that great Britt line. Britt is his name, but he's James Coburn in my head, I guess. Uh, where, you know, they're, they're able to shoot the, the, the villains before they get away. That's and there's the one thing, guy yes. riding off in the distance, yeah. and he's able to shoot him. And that's when he passes off the line. You know, when she goes like, "That's the greatest shot I've ever seen," because he was up on a ridge, right. he was fucking far away. And yeah, Brett's like, "That was the worst time." The horse, which is really funny, because <laughs> he was supposed to bring some back, someone back alive. Um, 
And you kind of see where Chris is coming from. And at the beginning, Mm -hmm. the villagers tell Chris that they collected everything of value in their village to Mm -hmm. hire somebody. And he says, I've been offered a lot, but never everything. Right, exactly. And then, um, yes, so they're they're doing all this building up. And there's, there are these three sort of recon people. And so they have to ride after these three recon people. The idea is to bring one of them back so they know where right. and what and who, who and how and what's going to happen to get some intel. And uh, they do kill two of them. And then Britt does not shoot that horse. <laughs> He's got to shoot that man. And so they have killed all three of them. And now they're being able to – now they're teaching – them how to wield these right, other bigger the guns mm-hmm. because they got the gun the weapons off of these three gang members right and they figure he wouldn't have sent recon if he was close enough to look himself right. or to be himself so we've got a little bit of time and we've got the element of surprise so he'll be coming now when his people don't come back mm-hmm. so you know figure if there was a two-day ride They'd expect them back in two more days, and then it's three days before they get here, right? Because they then, yeah. you know, come. So we've got five days, seven days. We don't have a lot of time, but we've got some time to really get ourselves ready. And at that point, Vin is like, we're not ready. We're mm. going to die. Right. <laughs> um, and... He's like, do you want to bounce? And Chris says, you forgot one thing. We took a contract. And Vin says, I'm not sure it's any kind of contract that any court would uh, enforce. Mm-hmm. And Chris is like, that's the kind you've got to keep. Because exactly, yes. Otherwise, this is just a group of people who are going to lose everything. Like, right. So. And they're able to. Cal- Calavera runs into town. Yeah. Runs, you know, comes into town that first time, and he's just sort of shocked that these men are here. And uh, he has, I think, one of my favorite lines, I think, at this point, where he's like, why are you protecting them? And, you know, he says, if God didn't mean them to be sheared, why did he make them sheep? And that's like such yeah. A, yeah. a great insight into his mentality. It's like, oh, they're supposed to be fleeced. They're supposed to be... Rob, that's yeah. what we do. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's that uh uh dangers of Darwinism. Um the you know, what was I gonna say? There's also been strife back at the village because some of the villagers are like, Ooh, let's not do this and let's just go ahead and give Calvera what he wants mm-hmm. and he'll leave us alone. Right? So mm-hmm. there's always that faction of just take what you can get and we'll fucking make it through somehow. Like, right. it, it, this is the best we could hope for, which is sad, but also what poor people all over the country, all over the world think because they have to, because they they're are too frightened desperate. to do anything yeah, different. Yeah, they're too scared. Um, but the thing is, the first, because there's two incursions where Calvera comes into the town. And the first one, they're able to fend him off because he's completely taken by surprise. He doesn't have all of his forces with him. He just comes in going, oh, you know, right. He's just doing with that. like a dozen okay. men and What's goes, so on, where, where's yeah, my stuff? That's right. So, that's and right. I forgot about that. Yeah. When he meets up with Chris and the others, he's sort of shocked and surprised. And yeah. then the gunfire starts and he's forced yeah. to leave. 
the seven and the villagers take out eight of their mm-hmm. um of their men, and so now we've got eleven down. Right. Of however many we don't know. Like I said, it looked like forty, but I mm-hmm. don't know if that forty was actually standing in for four hundred. I right. don't know how big this. I don't think you can travel in a gang that no, big. Not but that big. Forty feels about as big as as manageable. Right. Um, even in a cult of personality, more than 40 men with guns if becomes hard to... If he's living off tiny villages in the mountains, yeah. then he couldn't manage more than that. More than that, that. yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, then, the, yeah, as you say, they're, um, run that, they're run out of town, and the villagers think, that's it. Mm-hmm. We've done it, and I'm just like. Oh, and they're celebrating. Ooh. They're they're just they <laughs> yeah. have this big celebration. There's a funny line where um, Chico tells them, you know, they make up songs about things like this in villages like that. They'll be singing yeah. about you forever. Singing about you forever. Right? Yeah, yeah. Which is um, the same thing that happened to him with you know the, the story with the the salesperson who's like, I'm going to tell my wife Flora, they'll never forget this. It's that's like, literally an episode of Firefly, right? Where Jane has yes, been. exactly immortalized <laughs> for a thing that they don't even like they don't even know he was exploiting them it was <laughs> yes it was it, yes it was their take on a thing mm-hmm. that wasn't accurate reality and he is a folk hero it's pretty nuts um and but all the gunfighters are like i don't think that was it and she go uh, gets up the gumption to go ahead and uh infiltrate the camp. Right. Calveras's camp. And Calvera is uh, next to him at one point and basically lays out that they need this food. Yeah, they have nothing. Their men haven't eaten in two or three days. Yeah. They they don't have an option to turn tail and run or go to another op- This is This is their only grocery store, so they will be returning. So Chico goes back um, and is like, yeah, they are coming back. Um, and so they try to infiltrate the camp before he can get there. Um, but they do find that camp empty. Right. <laughs> and they, when they get back to the village, they're basically, they find it um, under Calaver, Cal- Calaveras control. Right. Uh, we keep wanting to say Calavera is it's Spanish cal- for skull. Yes, exactly. So it's like it's the Latin root, the word cavalry, uh, cav- cavalry, cavalry. No, excuse me, Calvary. Yes, Calvary, right? Comes like from a that. church, not right. like cavalry, like a um, horseback. Because that was that in place of the skull, you know, where the, the body or the people were executed. So yeah, I keep slipping into Calavera. Calavera, it's Calavera. Calvera. Right. Um, and I want to put an S on the end for some reason. I don't know. Because Calaveras County. I Maybe, think, yes, is, that's exactly why. God damn. Which is a place in California, not far from us. With hippity hops. Yes. It has a giant <laughs> frog jumping contest every year. Yeah. Um, so Cal- that's when, Cal- that yeah. as they are basically taken into custody. And he says, I don't understand why a man like you took the job in the first place. And Chris says, I wonder myself. And then Vince says, it's like a fellow I knew in El Paso. It's this. One day he took out all his clothes, took off all his clothes, and he jumped in a mess of cactus. I asked him that same question, why? And Calvera goes, and? Uh. 
And he said it seemed like a good idea at the time. It seemed like a good idea at the time. He does a couple of those. Right. There's where the, I'm just like... I'm trying to remember the one where the guy jumps off an eight-story building or something. Yeah. It's like, I like that guy. So far, so good. Right. And, <laughs> and every someone floor. on every floor, he would say, so far, so good. <laughs> right. So I feel like the guy that jumped off the eight-story building. Right. So uh, yeah, Everybody on every floor, so far, so good. So right. he's like, so far, so good, which just means I'm hurtling towards death, but I'm not there yet so so far so good yeah so he does that a couple of times and i'm just like what is this weird quirk that he has um like he's doing little like he's doing bits <laughs> it's just a stand-up comedian. but what he did though what mcqueen did is that he made himself really memorable right he, oh yeah that, but like i said too anytime there's a bunch of them in the in the right. shot, and someone else is talking up front, close to the camera. Uh-huh. Find Steve McQueen in the background, this and that is... motherfucker is like, cat looking, trying to catch flies, or right. like, I'm chasing bubbles through the visible fields. Like it's nuts. He's it's... very funny. He uh, he apparently, like I said, uh, Yul Brenner wanted him for this part because yeah. he'd seen him in Wanted Dead or Alive, the TV show. And then when he actually met him, it's like Stephen Queen kept doing the same stealing stuff. And then Yul Brenner is about five foot nine. Stephen Queen's a little bit taller, and yeah. some of the other actors are. James Coburn is very tall. So there was like little mounds of dirt that Yul Brenner would stand on, so he could get the forced perspective and be taller than other people. Yeah. And he found that Stephen Queen was going over and kicking over the mounds of dirt, so he'd be the same size. And when he was fidgeting in the background all the time and doing so stuff fidgety. with his fingers, Mister Fidgets. And so finally, according to the, the I, I can't remember who told this one, I think it was Robert Vaughn, he says, um, finally, Yul Brenner just looks at him and says, stop it, just stop, I know what you're doing. All I have to do is take off my hat and no one's going to be looking at you because uh, yeah. in 1960, a completely bald man was kind of a novelty. Right? right, right. So it's like then he calmed down and they became kind of friendly, friendly after that. Friendly, yeah, yeah. And they wound up, the longer they spent in Mexico, they wound up becoming friends. Um... And they were there for a while, apparently. Yeah. But anyhow, okay. so they're... So Calvera has taken control of the villagers mm-hmm. and has basically taken the seven into custody. And then he makes the dumbest decision, and that decision is to let them go. He figures that now he's shown his might. They realize that the villagers aren't, wor- villagers aren't worth fighting for, as he says to them, because they're, you know... They're prey animals, so you're your prey. Why are you wolves fucking around with these sheep? <laughs> like, stop it. And he doesn't want to be basic. He's like, you all probably know other people, and I don't need to get on shit lists across Mexico and the, the lower United States. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to let you guys go, and you're going to go off on your you know merry ways or whatever. Getting ready to leave... Chris and Vin both say that they have become emotionally attached to the village. Bernardo also gets super angry when the boys... Oh, and that's when he um, talks to them about their parents. Right, because obviously... They, yeah. they, like, let them say goodbye and shit. Like, they give them time. It's nuts. I'm just like, these men were here to... I have killed 11 of your men, but okay, sure. Let them say their goodbyes. What? Um... Uh, Chico, you know, goes ahead and spits on everybody and declares his <clears throat> hatred for the village and everybody in it. 
and then when Chris points him out, points out that you uh, also were a farmer, he uh, responds that he's a man like Calvera and Chris who made the villagers what uh, it's men it's like Calvera men like Calvera and Chris that made the villagers what they are. Um, and so the seven are and they're they're like escorted out. They're also I thought he says he takes their guns. And I presumed he would keep their guns, right. but he fucking doesn't. Right. Well, so there's also they, the, yeah. they go out into the woods, and he drops them off along with all of their fucking weapons, which is insane. Um, and they're like, now what are we going to do? And everybody except uh, Harry... Who's just at this point really disappointed that they're getting kicked out, right? Yeah, who's, yeah, there for the fortune. And he's like, you know, I haven't been able to discern any emeralds. I have not looked at a single piece of gold. Um, It's not going to work anyways. So um, I don't want to do it. And then they all infiltrate the village. They make the decision. And Harry joins them. Over themselves, it's like... This is never, like, I've never been ridden out of town and handed back my own gun and patted on the head and told to leave. So it's now a matter of honor with them. It is. But it's also like those villagers. Yeah, they still need protection. They're going to be completely. And now they've, like, shown a modicum of spine, so they could be being tortured right now. Those women are definitely in danger. Because we're not rapists, but one or two of them might be. Maybe all of them. I don't know. We don't know because you don't say it out loud or put it on your face. Um, you know, Harry comes back and basically takes a bullet for Chris. Um, and as he is, he's fatally shot. He's definitely dying. And he's like, Chris, tell me. <laughs> tell me what was here. Tell me it was it was it gold. What was it? And Chris finally is like, yeah, it was gold. <laughs> like it was. He acquiesces and tells him about all of the gold that they were gonna get, and so so that Harry can have some small modicum of peace as which, he's dying. As he's dying, which is and he tells them, you know, he died for a, a fortune. There's like a gold mine nothing. here. There's like your yeah. share would have come to seventy thousand. Seventy thousand dollars. And yeah. His, and he's like, 70000 how about that? Or something and then, like Well, that. and then he goes, I'll be damned, and he dies, and Chris oh, goes, maybe not. not. Maybe not, yeah. Right, maybe which not. is a really great... Because he didn't... Right. Here's the thing. You might just start, you know, give your life up for the possibility of $70,000, but if you didn't know that that was really there, you yeah. didn't for people. You didn't, like, leave. The Robert Vaughn's character. Mm-hmm. He bursts in and frees the villagers. That's right. Because they're being held ho- hostage. The ones that like facilitated them right. being there, for, right? Like yeah, he sets it's them that, free. It's not all of them, but no. it's, a, it's a good chunk of them. It's, it's like they're holding the, some of the men captive. I That's think right. probably the men who know how to operate the guns. Yeah. And he yeah. comes at what his... He's not... The rest of these people are from the battlefield. He's a one-on-one actual gunfighter. Yeah. So when he... There's a scene earlier when he snatches... There's flies buzzing around this candle and he grabs one. Yeah. And lets it go. And one of the... The uh, uh, the 
farmers who's there looking at him and is like, again, that's amazing. And he says, well, there was a time when I could have caught I all three. I caught all three, yeah. But because of that, when he kicks down the door, he's able to get all three of these bandits before they unload. Right. It's like, shit. Um, and so he gets them, they're able to rescue their weapons, and then yeah. they come into it. And even the guy who effectively was the Judas of the group. Yeah, the one who wanted he sees to turn them over. everyone fighting starts fighting too. It's like yeah. he realizes, wait, the tide can be turned. Yeah. And right when Robert Vaughn's character is like watching them do this, he's done something good, he gets shot. Yeah. So he's down. Yeah. So so now we're down two. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, and, Bernardo uh, yeah. is shot protecting the kids that he's definitely bonded with. Right. Um, and he, as he dies, he tells them this. He says, "Look at your fathers. Look at them fighting, and they're because they're fighting." Um, and then Britt is the last one. So James Coburn's character is um, he exposes himself from cover to, right. for, to cover somebody else, I think, and gets shot. But he takes out a lot of people because he's basically like a, as much as as good as he is with that knife. He's right. like a fucking sniper. Which we knew when he could well, shoot from a distance. Yeah, he said, Chris uh, <laughs> earlier said when he was talking, I think to Chico, or maybe it was to Vin, he's like, you can't find a better man with a knife or a gun. And his comment is like, well, excuse me, who does he compete with? And he goes, himself. Oh, This is a guy who just, you know. It's just. Right. Right. He just For mastery of the skill, this is skill, what he does. Right. That's interesting. Um, yeah, and then Chris. Shoots Calvera, mm-hmm. who asks him why he comes, but why did you come back to a place like this? A man like you, why? Mm. But he dies unanswered, as should be. Uh, and then every uh, after Calvera goes down, and they've taken out several of the other ones, the right. rest of the bandits flee, um, and we're down to the Magnificent Three. Chico yeah. has made it through unscathed, and Vin and Chris. Vin so has unscathed. He's and, injured, but he's okay. And uh, Yul Brynner's characters are there, and they are getting ready to ride out of town. And the last scene is them on a hill overlooking the village, and Chico is looking down at him, and Petra, the girl that has thrown herself at him and is... Like they've been clearly been together, or whatever is mm-hmm. looking up at him. He's like, I'm gonna go stay with this lady. Hey, bye. Well, because I think that was a good <laughs> full circle for him, though. Yeah, he the, got to do the thing, right? He'll and be able to tell that story to his kids, right? And he'll be, but singing, if he stays he'll here, he'll be singing the song about he these guys. Will have kids, right? If he and he knows he is now and seen. There's a scene where these men are lonely, right, and sad, and I could not be those. Right. Things. There's a there's a uh, a scene earlier in the film where he they have this discussion with Robert Vaughn's character about people that you know what it means to be what they are. Yeah. Yes. And it's a really interesting scene where um, they tell him, well. So, you know, close relationships, none, friends, none. You you know, there's all these things that you can't have doing this. But he's more impressed by Robert Vaughn's kind of, yeah, men you step aside for, none. Yeah. Um, yes. And enemies that you have, none. Yeah. And then he goes, and, and 
Chris is like, none? And he goes, well, none left alive. Yeah, right. And, and then he says later, a lie I tell you, or you tell yourself. A well, lie you tell yourself because he's his own worst enemy at this point. There's, there you go. Yeah, let me, mm-hmm. let me, let me read that, that part because that is really good. So Vince says, yeah, sure, everything. After a while, you can call bartenders and pharaoh dealers by their first name, maybe 200 of them, rented rooms you live in, 500 meals you eat in hash houses, 1,000, home, none, wife, none, kids, none, prospect, zero. I suppose I left anything out? And Chris says, yeah, places you're tied down to, none, people with a hold on you, none, men you step aside for, none. Lee, insults swallowed, none, enemies, none. And Chris says, no enemies. And then he says, none left alive. But then later he he says, no enemies left alive. That's a lie you tell yourself to to be able to sleep. Like, you know it's bullshit. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. yeah, As I said, and I know that there's an uncredited writer on the first draft of the film. There was the... But yeah. God, this film is really well written. And there's a lot of there's a lot of character in a in a movie that's called The Magnificent Seven mm-hmm. that is about cowboys, gunslingers, right? Right. There is a fuck ton of character development in right. here. Um, yeah, and then the, it closes with um, Vin and Chris riding out of town, and Chris says the old man was right. Only the farmers won. We lost. We'll always lose. Right, which is the same line, I think, from the end of Seven Samurai. Oh, is it? Yeah. I mean, that feels right. That yeah. feels like, if you're going to remake it, that's a pretty powerful... Well, Sturges actually, like I said, he really admired Kurosawa's film. I mean, obviously. And, and Kurosawa... He said before his started, hey, check out this other movie. Right. Well, that was in uh, reading about the making of the film. Everyone who'd seen this film, from John Sturges to Yul Brenner to James Coburn, they all, like, fell in love with the movie. And how, had... did so, how did a director in 1958 mm-hmm. say, see a Japanese film? There were, it was playing... Would there be, like, Hollywood... Like art house, events, art yeah. house things. Okay, so I just I there yeah. wasn't VHS. There's no streaming, and that's kind of the problem uh, was that back in the day you basically found it playing somewhere, and it was so popular at the time that they were able to find it. One of the actors gotcha. admitted getting it, you know, that he was shown a print of the movie, you know, from an actual yeah. theater that had a print that was distributed right. for them. So um, okay, so that's how, yeah, because yeah. I'm just like ha- I think it's rad, right. But they were but really. I understand how it. directors in the nineties mm-hmm. see the things that influenced them. I don't understand right. how directors in the fifties yeah. saw things. It, that it was a lot more. Them, it was more trouble, but global things. Yeah. Certainly, other films. There aren't that many being released. You saw all of them. I'm sure that somebody like the director of this film saw mm-hmm. basically every movie that came out for a decade. Yeah. Like, and they probably became, saw them before other people did too. Yes, and then Hollywood, like, right. once you become a name, then you can come to screenings and things like that that's, that are special or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's just, it's crazy because we have such broad access to media. Right. In a way that's never existed before. That's, and I, I appreciate the fact that, I mean, we live in a generation now, and this is going to go back to one of my familiar ends, where we have people like Tarantino, we have people like, um, James Cameron, 
just sort of lifting ideas, what we talked about, Spielberg lifting ideas from other movies. Lucas, yeah. Right, Lucas, completely uncredited and mm-hmm. putting them on the screen. To, to in um, James Cameron's a case, to an actionable extent. Yeah. Where Harlan Ellison literally sues him because it's, this yeah. is the story I wrote for Outer Limits, which yeah. is one of the ones we're going to see. Right. Um, but it's seeing this different, how proud uh, Sturges was to put Kurosawa's right. name on right. there. It's, yeah, that was, that was amazing. Yeah. He had great respect for that. They have great respect for him. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, and the film itself is just, is, was it thrilling? It was really it's thrilling. It is. Yes, it it totally is. It's, yeah, it was super fun. Uh, it doesn't even feel old timey. No. Like, the dialogue is very quick. It's very snappy. It is. The mu- if, if, if the dialogue ain't snappy, the music is. Right. Like, it's, it, something is happening orally <laughs> uh-huh. all of the time. Um, yeah, there's a lot of pathos here that you wouldn't necessarily expect. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I really, really liked it. And when you see later on, we're going to see The Great Escape, which is another yeah. John Sturgis film yeah. with some of the same actors and things like that. Um, he just, he got better with it even. It's like that was an even bigger cast, but he had to develop all these, you know, a dozen or more characters. Right. And he was able to do that and keep it all balanced and also give everyone their own piece of work to mm-hmm. do. Uh, but, yeah, this is, it really was. Watching it again was kind of a, exciting for me because it's like, oh, I forgot how really good this was. Yeah. I know that the opening scene of it was so well written that our screenplay teacher, when I was yeah. in school, actually used that opening scene. He showed it to us and he gave us a copy, a printed copy of it. Yeah. Because it, no, it is. It's very good. You learn a lot about these two men. Right. And there's a whole kind Dodge. of... Dodge. It was Tombstone and Dodge. Dodge. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, I, it's, right. it's been <laughs> in the, the background. The opening scene of Calvera actually has all sorts of... Oh, that piece, yeah. Yeah, that piece too. Yeah. I mean, both of them... I, I forget about that right. that's how we actually open. We open with the conflict. Right. And he sets it up, and you get to learn about this character. I like when you see the villain before you see a hero. Yeah. That's interesting. You don't... That's not true a lot. Yeah. and But his, his kind of... Uh, this part and the way that the director specifically wants Eli Wallach to play this guy. Yeah. Because he's... You can do... And you can see how this leads into him playing Duco in The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Later sure. On. Because he can play I this character... Right. But he can play a character... Who is somebody that you have some sort of not ad, not admiration for or even liking, but he's a person who just doesn't seem to understand why what he's doing is wrong on some level. Um, but anyhow, yes, it's it's just a it's a great film. I'm glad you liked it. I did like it. Um, next week mm-hmm. we are going to be watching Gaslight, a okay. different kind of vibe, more of a. It's closer Quiet to tension to Rebecca than, uh... <laughs> in a way. Huh? It's closer to Rebecca in a way. Yes. Yeah. Um, but it's also really frustrating. We'll see. We don't want it's, to say any more than that. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting film because it's a lot of um a lot of the tension is ratcheted up by 
Well, I won't. Okay, I won't yeah, go into it. We're not going to go into nope, it. Nope. So, 1944's Gaslight is next week. I'm only seeing it for free on Roku, the Roku channel, so we'll probably have to rent that. Um, in the meantime, do you have anything you would like to recommend? Um, I would like to. I think we covered Stranger Things new season. Right? Uh, we did, but now we finished it, we so we finished can say. It. Unequivocally, we watched that show. Yes, that was. I really enjoyed it. Even though I have, I take some issues, but I'm going to leave it alone. I'm not, we're not going to talk about it because it's spoilery as hell. I will say, well, no, I won't even just, I will say this. I really, really love the character of Eddie Munson. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to say anything else. I I really. We'll talk about it in six months or whatever once everybody has seen it. I really enjoyed it. I liked. I think you mentioned the pacing of it reminded you of the the final chapter in Lord of the Rings. How yeah, the, just... the whole end of it, I was like, "This feels like we're still going." But also because it, that last episode is two and a half hours yeah. long. Um, Stephanie had said she had, couldn't. She had not watched the show before this summer, mm-hmm. and she watched all of it in preparation, and then we watched it right. the, the fourth season together. Um, and she had said that she had started a practice of watching an episode from after the credits uh-huh. through the cold open of the following episode to the credits. Right. And she didn't have to do that this season. Uh, and we watched one episode at a time because it was a lot to digest. It was and they a were pretty very long, intense. It was very violent. But also made them yeah. like an hour and 18 minutes. Yeah. Each episode was a full complete thing unto itself they didn't have them bleeding five to ten minutes into the next one to keep you right going to the next one to the next one to the next one they had they i guess had enough faith that you would come back and watch the next episode you and like i said we watched each of these episodes on a different day so there are nine episodes it took us more than nine days to watch the writing tight Keep the uh, actors really working this. Yeah, you don't have a. They problem. also did. A, they divided them into four mm-hmm. groups this time instead right. of just two or three. It was four distinct groups that have almost no crossover. Mm-hmm. I like the way they found an event, a, a way of crossing over at one point. Yeah, they um, yes. And they do, so they do kind that, of converge like, in this really interesting way. Yeah. I won't spoil it for anybody else because it's just a few days old at this yeah. point. But yes. Really yeah. Well, we're, you know, this episode comes out on the 14th, oh, but okay. still. Yeah. Give it some time. Still. So what about you? <sighs> we, I have been avoiding a Netflix show called Is It Cake? Is it? Is it really? For several months. <laughs> And uh, then I decided at some point this weekend, because I was here and not on the road where I was supposed to be playing video, playing games and drinking wine, um, I was like, fuck it, let's try this. It was very good. We watched the whole series, because that is a thing I can watch back to back. It's eight episodes long. They're not very long, they're like 40 minutes long apiece. Um I didn't understand what the show was going to be. Like, I had no idea what it was. And I, but I love a cooking competition show. Fundamentally, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. But they also get to play, like, five games an episode of Is This Cake? Wherein you look at five different things to determine which thing is cake. 
I have to say that there was an episode that I walked in on with you two uh-huh. watching it where the um, the object in question is a toy elephant. Yeah. This was, as I told you, this is a museum-quality reproduction of an elephant. This right. is not like a children's toy. This I is mean, amazing. it was a children's toy, but it's the kind, yeah, you, you yes. get at the, at, the, at the zoo rather than right. the kind, yeah. It's amazing the level of artistry uh-huh. of these yeah. people. It's because I don't even know. Does it move beyond being a baker if they're just? And they have to make a cake that's edible too. That's the other that's thing. That's the other thing. Yeah, it can't be you know unlike yeah. some so they, they, they people did I mentioned that make everything with Rice Krispies that mixed enough of me as an audience member guessing what thing is cake and mm-hmm. what thing isn't cake. And watching them cook, mm-hmm. that it, I thought it was a really good balance. I, I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, the host was Mikey Day. I guess he's on SNL. Um, and he's a lot. But also, he's hosting a show where they have three people baking and six people on bleachers effectively for eight hours at a time. Right. So... That's a hard fucking job to like try and keep people interested and active. He and, like, kind of overdoes it, but he, he does, overdoes but it in a way that's still interesting it to is, me. It's, it's like it's interesting and it's endearing. I'm right. just like, okay, you're not a gross creep. You're not like, yeah. So he that was fun. Um, and most of the time, I really liked the way that the judges approached it. The one that you talked, the one that you mm-hmm. worked in, the, the second to last episode. I thought that the judges were very um, dismissive, dismissive of the artistry and the time and the talent that it takes to do this. And all they wanted to do was shove a knife into something that looked pretty. And I thought that that was fucked up and I didn't like that. But right. most of the judges were like, I can't believe you did this. This is amazing. That was the level that I wanted right. people at. So. Um, but, you know, they're pulling a lot of the judges are just pulled from other Netflix you know, they're all in the Netflix studio and it's like, hey, do you have 10 minutes to come do this mm-hmm. show or whatever? Um, so there was that element. But as I said, if you like cooking, you know, reality competition shows. It was a lot more fun than I thought it was going to be. And I was just really impressed by the amount of realism they yeah. can get into. And the way that they filmed the it was it. pretty magical because you watched them making these things. You watched mm-hmm. them over the eight-hour period. I mean, that's condensed down to you right. know, 25 minutes or whatever. You're watching them over the eight-hour period, but they never show you their completed thing right. until it's with the other exemplars. And so you get to kind of go along with and and guess guess yourself yeah and that's a fun thing that they could have really ruined i whoever they have as their um ep as their producer who understands about reality tv show because sometimes i'm just i watch a reality tv show and i'm like you guys don't know how to make a reality tv show and i'm a person who've wa- who's watched specifically reality competition shows i've watched Almost all of them. Reality competition, I have watched pretty much every single one. Mm. And so I'm I'm who you want to hire to fucking produce your reality TV, your competition show. But I appreciate Sometimes I'll watch a show and I won't continue watching it mm. because I can tell it's being badly produced. Right. Where I'm just like, 
Well, it's clear that you guys have brought in a a person who you want to win, and you are skewing the the competi- the, the various competitions to this person's strengths right. and actively going against other people. Like you can see it happening. And it's just like, well, if you want to just give us do $25,000, just do that. I don't need mm-hmm. to spend six hours watching you treat other people like garbage so you can give this guy $25,000. Like that sucks. So I, I appreciate the production of this show. They really got the entertainment Versus the sort of learning and, mm. you know, reality aspect of it. Um, pretty right on exactly the way that I would want it. So, mm. you know, like I said, I didn't watch it for a while because I was like, it's going to be stupid. And it's, you know, it's not smart, but it's pretty good. It was it's fun. It's fun. fun to watch. Yeah. And the, the stuff that they make is incredible. Yeah, so. it is. Uh, yeah. Hire me for your reality competition production needs. Uh, next week we're gonna watch Gaslight. V. There's several versions of it for this the is, name, right? Uh, 1944's version, Angela Lansbury, and Ingrid Bergman, and Dickman and what did you say his name was? Charles Boyer. Boyer. Not Boyer. 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 Mm-hmm. He's French, I've been told. Yes. So we'll be oh, watching and, that. And, um, Joseph Cotton's in it. Yes, Joseph Cotton is in it. Yeah. Those are the first four build people. Uh, until then, mm-hmm. uh, if you have questions or comments and concerns, you can email us at latecomerspod at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at latecomerspod or on Facebook by searching latecomers podcast in the search bar. I would like to remind you to take your medicine, and we would like to remind you, better, better late, late than, than never. never.